Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Hurd, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast, In Trust, on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Good morning. It's Tuesday, the 15th of August in London. This is the Bloomberg Daybreak Europe podcast. I'm Stephen Carroll. Coming up today, China's central bank cuts interest rates after a host of economic data illustrated this slowdown in the country's economy. A grand jury in the state of Georgia indicts former President Trump over attempting to overturn his election defeat in 2020. And a computer crash leaves the Bank of England unable to process high-value transactions for six hours. Let's start with a roundup of our top stories. China's central bank has unexpectedly cut interest rates as its economic woes deepen. The PBOC reduced the rate on its one-year loans by 15 basis points to 2.5%, the largest cut since 2020. The surprise move came as Beijing released a raft of disappointing economic data, including a slide in industrial output and an increase in unemployment. Citigroup's head of Asia trading strategy, Mohamed Appabai, doesn't expect the rate cut to help. The problem, I think, is not really one of liquidity. The money supply is growing at something like 11 or 12 percent. The problem is really uh, whether that money is being used. So in some forms, it's a bit of a liquidity trap and it needs more measures from the authorities to address issues like confidence. Mohamed Appabai's comments come uh, comments on sentiment come as Beijing says it's pausing publishing data on the country's soaring youth unemployment rate. The announcement is likely to fan fears over economic transparency in the world's second largest economy. Now, concerns around the outlook for China's economy are being echoed by the US Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen. She says the country's slowdown will have some spillovers to the United States, but she's still optimistic. Those comments come after a speech in Las Vegas where she hinted at the risk that China poses to a soft economic landing. The administration remains committed to taking actions to lower prices for Americans where we can. And we continue to monitor developments, particularly those abroad, that may affect prices and growth. Johnny Ellen also used her speech to reiterate her view that cooling inflation can be achieved without an increase in unemployment. The frontrunner in Taiwan's presidential race says he will cooperate with China to achieve peace. Li Chengdu, who's currently the Taiwanese vice president, has told Bloomberg voters face a choice about democracy itself. We don't want to be enemies. We can be friends. And uh, we love to see 
China can enjoy democracy and freedom just like us. As long as there is parity and dignity, our door is always open. We are willing to cooperate with China to advance peace and prosperity. Lai Qingde spoke to Bloomberg exclusively as he starts a foreign trip to the United States. China's foreign ministry has condemned the visit, saying it undermines their sovereignty. Donald Trump has been charged in a fourth criminal case over his conduct in the wake of the 2020 presidential election. Fulton County District Attorney Fanny Willis is leading the case. The indictment alleges that rather than abide by Georgia's legal process for election challenges, the defendants engaged in a criminal racketeering enterprise to overturn Georgia's presidential election result. Willis is an expert in prosecuting racketeering, a crime typically used to target street gangs and mobsters who use coercion. The charges come as Trump has a commanding lead in polls to be the Republican Party presidential nominee next year. The president has denied all previous charges. Shopkeepers in Argentina have seen a massive jump in prices following a dramatic primary election upset. A victory for radical outsider Javier Millet led to a surprise devaluation in the peso. Bloomberg's Patrick Gillespie breaks down the impact of the surprise election win. A stunning vote with Javier Millet uh, upending really the political class and he was polled to finish third. He came out finishing first above the two established political parties and that caused bonds to fall below 30 cents uh, on the dollar. This morning, the official exchange rate was devalued about 18%, one of its biggest moves in several years. And in the real economy, we're seeing businesses hike prices 20% overnight. Patrick Gillespie also points out that Argentina has an annual inflation rate of 115%, making it difficult for retailers to adjust their prices fast enough to keep up. And the Bank of England expects all delayed payments to be settled today after a six-hour outage in its payment system. Bloomberg's Ewan Potts reports. The outage at the Bank of England yesterday was the longest system crash since 2014, prompting the central bank to launch an official inquiry into the shutdown. Thousands of home purchases and other financial transactions were delayed after the BOE's real-time gross settlement service went down between 6am and midday. CHAPS, the payment system used for high-value transactions, including property sales, was also not out. Bloomberg understands that a technical issue was to blame unrelated to an ongoing upgrade of the real-time gross settlement system. Maintaining RTGS is one of the BOE's core responsibilities with the system central to the UK's financial stability. In London, I'm Ewan Potts, Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. So those are your top stories on the programme this morning. On the markets, the MSCI Asia Pacific Index is a tenth of 1% weaker. Eurostoxx 50 futures are four tenths higher. And on Wall Street, S&P E-minis are two tenths of 1% higher. Now, looking at some of the other stories that caught our eye this morning, um, an interesting survey from the Bloomberg terminal of around 300 terminal users around the label ESG, something that has become particularly political in the United States. There being somewhat of an anti-ESG movement, the likes of the Florida governor and presidential hopeful Ron DeSantis, among those who's criticised the use of the term. Even BlackRock CEO Larry Fink back in June said he doesn't want to use it anymore after it had been weaponized. But 
interesting, around two-thirds of respondents in this survey said that the anti-ESG movement will force firms to stop using the three letters, but that they will continue to incorporate environmental, social and government metrics in their business. We know it's been a huge change within the investing community to include these metrics in investment decisions. And while the label, it seems, might be attracting some unwanted attention, it seems the sentiment behind them still very much in the minds of investors. That was another story that caught our eye this morning on the programme. Let's get the latest now, though, on the developments from China. That surprise rate cut coupled with the release of disappointing economic data. Our senior reporter, James Mager, joins us now from Beijing. James, great to have you with us. How bad was the data, first of all, that we got today on the Chinese economy? Um, You saw much weaker than expected industrial output data. You saw much weaker than expected retail sales data, uh, investment data, also weaker than expected. And all those weakening from July as well, not just weaker than expectations, but weaker than they have been this year. And it's, the data has already been bad this year. So across the board, it was a pretty, a pretty poor... Uh, result for the Chinese economy in July, and there is, doesn't seem to be much uh, sign of a, of a pickup uh, happening at the moment in August. So going into the second half of the year, really is you know they are really are facing a, a pretty difficult situation. Let's talk about then the steps taken by the PBOC today. Surprise rate cut. Take us through the significance of what we can take away from the central bank moves. What you see, I think, is the government is still struggling to find a way to respond to the economic slowdown, which doesn't create more problems by you know, increasing liquidity, which then flows into financial into the financial markets only, or increasing the amount of decreasing the cost of borrowing, and then leading to reinflation of the housing bubble. Uh, you know, the fundamental problem of the economy is weak housing demand. The fundamental reason for that is the government tried to pop the housing bubble and to create weak housing demand. So, in a sense, they're the victims of their own success. They have deflated the housing bubble, um, and now they're trying to make a softer landing than they've they've created, but they don't want to reinflate the bubble. They don't want people to go out and speculate on houses again. So what the PBOC has done, they cut, base, they cut the interest rate by 15 basis points, and that will have a, you know, a somewhat stimulatory effect. But the problem isn't that credit is too expensive. It's that no one wants to borrow. Um, no one wants to buy a house. If you don't want to buy a house, you don't need to borrow to buy a house. So just making the cost of capital slightly cheaper isn't going to change the fundamental problem of, of weak weak demand for housing or weak demand for borrowing. I mean, if you don't think that housing developers are going to be around in a year, if you think that many of the big housing developers now will default or will go bankrupt or will stop building houses uh, because their financial their financial system is uh, their financial position is so poor, you're not going to go out and buy a house from them because there's no guarantee you actually get the house. So the PBC is making an effort, but you know, the, the, it does not really change the fundamental problems in the economy. I think. Talk us through the reaction that we've seen on markets to all of this news. I mean, the yen, sorry, the yuan weakened. Um, as logically it should, um, interest rate differentials with the dollar or with the US are, are rising. Uh, you know, the Fed may still raise rates again. So you're seeing the biggest differential interest rate differential in more than a decade now between where rates are in China and where they are in the US. Um, markets fell. Uh, so obviously indicating that they think that this economic data is very bad and they don't think what's being done so far by the government and the PBOC is enough. And you also saw bond prices uh, rising. So pretty pretty negative reaction across the board on this morning. And 
we learned also today that China is going to stop publishing data on youth unemployment. What's the explanation for this? Well, the the formal explanation from the National Bureau of Statistics was that um, they're redoing the calculation of youth unemployment because they some students who are who've graduated from university and are then looking for jobs are being counted as unemployed and the, 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 the MBS thinks they shouldn't be counted as unemployed so they're going to retool that. Um, a more cynical view would be that the unemployment rate for youth was 21% and was expected to continue rising uh, at least through the third quarter and so it was inconvenient for the government which is trying to put forward a positive view of the economy to have data showing every month that one-fifth of young people are out of work. Um, so, you know, it could be a problem with the data collection or how they define these things. Um, but, uh, you know, this isn't a surprise that that this is how they calculate these numbers. If they were wanting to increase the, the, the trust that people have in the numbers they release, they could have you know, gradually made this change or they could have released two sets of data for a little while and you know, explained the difference. Uh, and so people get used to this change instead of just suddenly at the press conference where they're meant to release the data saying, oh, by the way, we're not going to do that anymore. Um, you know, when, when countries, countries do change how they calculate various different things, including unemployment, and usually when they do that, they provide a period of you know, a period of explanation and then they provide often provide two sets of data for a period so that you know financial companies and people can get their understanding of the new data. People can grow comfortable with what's being reported and then they gradually move to the new system. Doing it suddenly like this is is uh, is a shock and um, it just damages trust in, in the government and it's whether the data is real or not. And it just invites cynical comparisons like the one I just made where people just say it's clearly just because the data is bad, they're hiding the bad data. Um, this is not the way to do it. Okay, James Mager in Beijing, thank you very much for that. Up next, the UK loses out in the new global order and why the world's wealthy are flocking to the US. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new monthly edition of the Capital Ideas podcast. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes today. American Funds Distributors, Inc. Success is more than a destination. It's a path you take one step at a time. It's dedication. It's fortitude. And it's the work, passion, and grit inside of us that comes before all recognition. That's what Stiefel has been doing for over 130 years. And it's why Stiefel is one of the fastest growing wealth management firms in the country. And Stiefel goes beyond traditional wealth management to offer you a full suite of banking services, direct access to one of the industry's largest equity research franchises, and a leading middle market investment bank. Quietly, yet strategically, Stiefel has built a company and culture unlike any firm on Wall Street. Because success is the drive it takes to keep pushing. It's the passion to keep investing. It's the best of each of us, made better by the best in all of us. And that is where success meets success. Find a financial advisor at Stiefel.com. That's S-T-I-F-E-L.com. Stiefel, Nicholas & Company, Incorporated. Member SIPC and NYSE. The Paper Review on Bluebird Daybreak Europe. The news you need to know from today's papers. 
And Leanne Gerrans is with us with the details on those stories. Leanne, let's start in the Wall Street Journal. The headline there, the economic losers in the new world order. Yes, indeed, Stephen. Good morning to you. So basically what the story sums up is a giant subsidies and rising protectionism overturning decades of free trade. So smaller countries from here, the UK to Singapore, are actually getting left behind as the world's biggest economies are offering huge government incentives to win green industries. The US, European Union and Japan all working to become less dependent on China. The Inflation Reduction Act is drawing this massive flood of capital to the US. The EU is responding to this. What they're trying to do is put in its very own green policy support package. Japan offering billions of borrowing to finance a wave of investment in green technology. We know this is all happening with the big economies. But industrialised nations such as the UK, basically the Wall Street Journal says is lacking the scale to compete against these huge economic blocks in offering attractive subsidies. So this is really impacting a lot of what is happening here. And they outline two UK econ- um, two UK companies that have done really well. That's Nexion. It's a battery tech startup company, AMT Power. They've been homegrown, but they're looking to expand in different countries because they just offer more attractive subsidies and better for what they're looking for when it comes to growth. And they also talk about the fact that this massive shift is at an awkward time for the UK because it's really struggling to chart a new course in the global economy. And that is after Brexit. So things aren't so easy. But this is a really insightful piece into how protectionism is overturning decades of free trade and affecting the UK economy. Yeah, interesting to see that put in a global context, given some of many of those themes that we have heard from British businesses. The Telegraph next, Leanne. Uh, The world's wealthy are flocking, where the world's wealthy are flocking to hide their riches. I was going to ask you this, Stephen. Do you have any idea where the super wealthy go? No, I don't know any. Okay, fine. You don't. You know me. No, I'm really kidding. <laughs> so Bermuda private banks of Switzerland, they might spring to your mind if you're listening on your way into work. But it's actually the US, which is a really interesting, the world's most affluent, are increasingly piling their money into American states. Some with a population smaller than Devon, that's a seaside town here in the UK, as infamous offshore tax havens have had to become more transparent the US has grown into the biggest helper of financial secrecy in the world. That's because they have things like trusts and also shell companies. So the US came out on top for the first time. This is Bloomberg Daybreak Europe, your morning brief on the stories making news from London to Wall Street and beyond. Look for us on your podcast feed every morning on Apple, Spotify and anywhere you get your podcasts. You can also listen live each morning on London DAB Radio, the Bloomberg Business app and Bloomberg.com. Our flagship New York station is also available on your Amazon Alexa device. Just say, Alexa, play Bloomberg 1130. I'm Stephen Carroll. Join us again tomorrow for all the news you need to start your day right here on Bloomberg Daybreak Europe. Osage County, Oklahoma is getting a lot of attention right now. 
It's the setting of Martin Scorsese's latest film, Killers of the Flower Moon. The movie is based on a book about the 1920s Osage murders, when white men poured into Osage County and killed Osage people for their oil wealth. I'm Rachel Adams Heard, the host of In Trust, a podcast from Bloomberg and iHeartMedia. For over a year, I was reporting a different story about other ways white people got Osage land and wealth and how a prominent ranching family in Osage County became one of the biggest landowners here. Their ranching empire was built on land that at the turn of the century was all owned by the Osage Nation. So how'd they get it? Listen to the award-winning podcast In Trust on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.